This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. This bill is on the right side of Canadian public opinion. It's on the right side of Canadian history, and it's the right thing to do for some people. That's Conservative MP Stephen Fletcher. He's just introduced two private members' bills calling for national legalization of physician-assisted death. Fletcher is a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down after a car crash in 1996. He says that for him, it's personal. But now he's reignited the national discussion on this very sensitive issue. Where do things stand? We'll hear from Françoise Hébert, a board member of Dying with Dignity. Plus, today marks a special anniversary for a true freedom fighter. In his homeland of Egypt, Reverend Majid el-Shafi was tortured, arrested, and sentenced to death because he converted from Islam to Christianity. Now, after making a daring escape to Canada, he spends his time fighting against religious persecution through an organization he founded 10 years ago. He'll share his incredible story with us today. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Many older cancer patients aren't getting proper care according to a new report by the Canadian Partnership Against Cancer. It finds that older Canadians with colon, lung, and breast cancer are not receiving recommended radiation and chemotherapy treatments at the same rate as younger patients. For instance, only half of colon cancer patients over 70 get chemotherapy, compared to 80% of those under 60. The widely respected president of Toronto's University Health Network will become the new head of the Ontario government's health ministry. 63-year-old Bob Bell, a former cancer surgeon, will take over as Deputy Minister of Health in June to oversee the $50 billion department. The challenge comes with a big pay cut, from more than $750,000 to about $425,000. This week, veteran character actor James Rebhorn passed away at the age of 65. Shortly before he died, he put pen to paper for his own obituary. It was published this week and has become a viral sensation. Although he amassed more than 100 acting credits, ranging from a shipping magnate in The Talented Mr. Ripley to playing Claire Dane's father on Homeland, his letter focused on family. He wrote beautifully about his mother, who taught him the value of good manners and courtesy and that hospitality is no small thing. Of his wife and two daughters, he said, without them, always at the center of his being, his life would have been little more than a vapor. He only briefly mentioned his career in Hollywood, stating that Jim was fortunate enough to earn his living doing what he loved. 
And finally, today marks the 60th birthday for a very important Toronto institution, the subway. So with the help of you and me and the blessed TTC, we'll soon have a real subway. That's Ozzie Williams and his band with the song they sang during the construction of the TTC's subway during the 1950s. The Young Line officially opened on this day, March 30th, 1954. At the time, it had 12 stations stretching from Union to Eglinton, and a token cost just 10 cents. Today, subway expansion is still a topic of heated debate. I'm Ruby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Getting the bill passed in this session of Parliament is the short game. I'm playing the long game. It may not happen this Parliament, but uh, there is the next Parliament, and I think there is a framework here that would lay the foundation for whatever the bill will be in the future. And there will be a bill in the future because it is inevitable. For quadriplegic MP Stephen Fletcher, it's personal. He cited the 1875 poem Invictus as the inspiration for his two historic new bills on assisted dying. I am the master of my fate, he quoted. I am the captain of my soul. It's unlikely Fletcher's bill will make it to the floor of the House of Commons, given that he's number 240 on the list. So how does this advance the movement to make this legal? I sat down with Françoise Hébert of Dying with Dignity. It's a statement. Stephen Fletcher, who thought about this long and hard because his own personal situation, says it's up to the politicians to decide this issue. And politicians tend to try to avoid it. It's like abortion. It's like any controversial, emotional, personal ethics kind of situation. It's, it's not anything you want to run on if you're running for election. And so he said politicians have to decide this. We have to start this discussion and not force the courts to order us to have this discussion. So it's, it's a gesture because it's a private member's bill. The chances of it ever coming onto the floor and being debated are very, very slim. The other thing that I found very moving about Stephen Fletcher's position, I asked him, he had a catastrophic illness. He was in pain for years. And I said to him, if it had been available to you, would you have used this option? And he got quite choked up and he said he thought, yes, he would have. And then my thought was, aren't you glad you didn't? Look at how productive your life has become. And that wasn't his conclusion. But but when you look at what he has tabled, he in fact, and he has said this publicly, he would not have been allowed to die with a physician's assistant based on what he had because he could be cured. He, he, what he was going through was a terrible, terrible uh, phase of, of uh, uh, incapacity caused by his accident where he was choking on his own bodily fluids and, and in great pain for months and months and months. But when you look at the conditions that he has specified in Bill 581, he would not have been eligible because his situation could be improved. And in, in the conditions for getting physician-assisted suicide in this bill and also in the one that was tabled in Quebec and is probably going to come back, your condition has got to be terminal and there can be no chance of a recovery. Okay, Uh, let's talk about Quebec. Uh, The bill there passed second reading and then it died on the order paper when the election was called. So where is it at? 
Oh, I mean, that was so sad because you have to understand that the bill in Quebec, Bill 52, was supported by all political parties. It was actually tabled to a standing ovation in the legislature in Quebec. It was probably within about four or five hours of being voted on and becoming law in Quebec. They ran out of time. So and the bill died on the order paper. But both the Parti Québécois and the Liberals have said that they will reintroduce the bill, probably largely in its current form, as soon as possible when the government reconvenes in Quebec. So I think in Quebec, it's a done deal. So what about that B.C. case that's going before the Supreme Court of Canada? Almost exactly 20 years after the Sue Rodriguez case, which which refused to allow physician-assisted dying, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear the Carter case. They're going to hear it on October 14th, so they'll probably have a decision, oh, by the summer of 2015. So here we have all of these things happening at the same time. Exactly. The federal government will probably wait and hear what the Supreme Court has to say. So that I suspect, I'm speculating here, that they won't challenge Quebec. They're going to wait and see what the Supreme Court says. Fletcher, meanwhile, has come along and say, we really need to get this discussion going. And he, he is also saying that he's done a huge amount of research on the bills and that should it ever come forward, he's saying, use my bill. It's good. It's an excellent bill. It, uh, Two bills. Well, yeah. yeah. It's, one of them yeah. actually creates the legal framework for physician-assisted uh, physician dying and establishes all the safeguards and the conditions. And the second one just establishes a commission to monitor this, to do research, and to come out with an annual report so that we, we can learn from what's happening when it becomes legal. So there are two parts of the same issue. But it's the full Monty. It's an excellent bill. And I've read it very, very carefully. And it sort of, it sort of satisfies me that there are enough safeguards in there that nobody will ever be forced to die against their will. What about the opposition? Well, I think there's about 25% of Canadians who oppose euthanasia, assisted dying, assisted suicide, whatever you want to call it. And some of those are just morally opposed because of their deep-seated personal belief. I respect that. I just object that they would want to legally prevent me from doing something where my own personal ethics are okay with it. So I don't want a legal restriction because of a moral issue that's so deeply personal. There are those who oppose it because they're afraid of the slippery slope. And I think we have to take their fears very seriously. But I know, and, and we all know because of the experience in other countries, that you can put in safeguards so that there will be no abuse. Okay. Francoise, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Libby. We'll be sure to keep you up to date on the ongoing debate. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Imagine being arrested, tortured, and even sentenced to death because of your faith. Religious freedom is considered a basic human right here in Canada. But it's not that way in other countries around the world. In just a moment, we'll hear the incredible story of Reverend Majid El-Shafi. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Ten years ago, Reverend Majid al-Shafi was a religious refugee who barely escaped his homeland of Egypt with his life. Since then, he's devoted himself to fighting religious persecution through the organization he founded, One Free World International. 
The disturbing and incredible story will be told in a Vision TV documentary tomorrow night. Reverend El Shafi dropped by the Zoomerplex to give us a preview. Your story is so wrenching. Um, from your perspective now, how do you see it? It's the journey from the beginning of uh, my walk of faith uh, when I was 18 years old, when I decided to convert from Islam to Christianity to the time that I started my underground human rights organization, to the time that I was arrested and tortured back home in Egypt, all the way to my escape to Israel, and all the way through Amnesty International and the United Nations to come here as a landed political refugee. And 12 years later, the story been told on Vision TV, I think is a journey. What made you convert at the age of the 18? Was it one kind of what the French would call a coup de foudre or was it a process? <laughs> it was a logical decision from my end and also spiritual. I don't believe in debate of religion. I believe in freedom of religion. And in Christianity, in my opinion, I found more freedom. I found uh, more justice and love and forgiveness. Okay, so you go through this process, you decide to convert uh, did you tell your family before you did it? No, no. My family discovered after my arrest. I converted when I was 18 years old. Uh, it was in, in a small little basement underground with my best friend, Tamir, who paid his, his life as a price for, um, for being a Christian. And I decided to build a human rights organization, underground human rights organization in Egypt, to defend the minority rights, to bring equal rights to the Christian minority as it is to the Muslim minority. Uh, our organization started by seven members. In two years' time, we become 24,000 in one organization. We build Bible schools, medical clinics. Uh, we build many churches. By the Egyptian law, you cannot build churches. It's yeah. against the law. I was arrested in August 15, 1998. It was a very dark uh, night. I was taken to a police station in Egypt they put me underground. They tortured me for seven days from shaving the hair of my head to put my head in cold and hot water to uh, cuts in, in my back, crucifying me for two days and a half, put salt and lemon in my open wound, burning me with cigarettes. I was a mess, and I ended in a hospital for three months. I almost died. How, how did you get out of there before you died? Did they take you to the hospital? They, they, they did take me to the hospital, and they put me in house arrest. And they wrote a report that I'm mentally ill. Well, back home in Egypt, if they killed you immediately or they put you in prison for this, they made out of you a hero, a martyr. Yeah. So what they do, they call you mentally ill, you're crazy, they keep you in house arrest, and after that they take you to court martial, uh, and you, you die and nobody even asks who you are. So my family did know after I was put in house arrest. And what was your family's reaction? My family disowned me. My family took a decision that they wanted to disown me. And I uh, I never disowned them. I will always love them. Uh, but that was their decision, and I will respect their decision. Now I have a bigger family because um, every innocent soul is my brother or sister in, in humanity. So I'm, I have now a bigger family. I'm fine. Was there a story about how you made your way to Canada? You escaped to Israel. And how did you choose Canada, and how did you get here? Um, I I stole a jet ski and I crossed from Taba to Elat to Israel. I surrendered to the Israeli police. 
And through the intervention of the UN and Amnesty International, I was given three options, Canada, Denmark, and Australia. So I prayed, and I felt in my heart that it's Canada. Now, the Lord didn't tell me it's 20 below zero in the winter, but... <laughs> you could have looked that up very easily. <laughs> yes. And that's how I came here 12 years ago. And since then, uh, what have you been doing to help others in a similar situation? I wanted to be a victor. I wanted to fight back. Not to fight back by weapon or violence, no, but to fight back with justice. And that's when I started One Free World International. Now we have branches in 28 different countries. We took over 500 cases. We never lost one of them. We traveled to Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, uh, um, all the dangerous zones, basically, to defend the people and to confront their governments. I will uh, fight until the end. I will uh, speak up. I will uh, knock on every door. And if I die doing what I am doing, then I die doing what I love. Uh, I'm not scared to die defending the principles I believe. I'm scared to live not defending it enough. Okay. On that note, we'll wrap it up. Majid, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Freedom Fighter will air tomorrow night, Monday, March 31st at 10 p.m. on Vision TV. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. A Motown diva who's one of the most successful female artists of all time celebrated her 70th birthday this week. We'll find out who after the break. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Tony Award winner Andrea Martin stars alongside TV series star Tony Shalhoub in Act One, a story about theater legend Moss Hart. Act One is at the Vivian Beaumont Theater on West 65th Street. In the Windy City, one of the most important abstract painters of his generation is featured at the Art Institute of Chicago. Born in 1955, Christopher Wool is a Chicago native, best known for his paintings of large stenciled letters, which he uses to form words or phrases. To London, England, where the act takes us back to 1967, when a civil servant with a big heart and a big secret lives two lives. The main character, played by Matthew Baldwin, works in government helping to orchestrate policy while also spending time in Soho in the company of gay men. This cabaret-style production is at Trafalgar Studios 2 Theatre. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, the one and only Miss Diana Ross celebrated her 70th birthday. She was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, and went on to become the founding member and lead singer of Motown Records' most successful act, The Supremes. During the mid-1960s, their popularity rivaled the Beatles, and they helped pave the way for many other African-American R&B musicians to find mainstream success. After The Supremes, Ross released a string of solo albums, and she became a star on stage and screen. She was nominated for a Golden Globe and an Academy Award for her portrayal of Billie Holiday 
in the 1972 biopic Lady Sings the Blues. In 1988, Ross was inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame alongside fellow Supremes Florence Ballard and Mary Wilson. And in 1993, the Guinness Book of World Records declared Ross the most successful female music artist in history, with a career total of 70 hit singles, both with the Supremes and as a solo artist. Right now, we'll hear one of her earliest hits with the group. It went to the top of the charts in 1964. Here is Baby Love. That was the Supremes with Baby Love. We played it in honor of Diana Ross, who celebrated her 70th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Bandrio. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.